First Timothy, chapter number four, verse number one. The Bible says, now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. One simple but power-packed and revealing verse of Scripture as it relates to the bizarre times that we are living in. And today I want to minister to you on the subject that the verse calls seducing spirits. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your power, by your grace, by your anointing, by the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit so that your word can be effective and minister to the hearts of people so that we truly can be the church that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, you may be seated. All you have to do is look around, and you know that we are living in bizarre times. 2020 has been the most bizarre year in my 25 years here on this planet. So funny about that. As the great prophet Dorothy said, we're not in Kansas anymore. Violence and social injustice fill our streets. Decadence abounds. Financial crisis has hit. Political feuding is off of the charts. Tensions are at the tipping point. Natural disasters are coming fast and furious. Unnatural affection is embedded in our educational systems and openly displayed all over our TV sets, intolerance is intentional. Cancel culture is mainstream and viewed as intellectually superior. Truth is now relative. There are no common standards of morality. And as the scripture predicted would happen in Isaiah chapter 5, verse number 20, good is now called evil and evil is now called good. The list goes on and on. The truth of the matter is we are not in Kansas anymore. What has happened to the world that most of us have known? It seems like as my friend Rick Renner in his fantastic book, we're living in a world, said in, in his fantastic book, we're living in a world that has gone crazy. Our reaction is one of bewilderment, but for those of us that are faithful students of the Word of God, we really shouldn't be shocked because this is the world that God's Word and Jesus himself warned us would come, not to scare us, but to prepare us. And to prepare us for what? To teach, to prepare us to teach our children and our grandchildren the Word of God so that they could be in the world but not of the world so that we can stay unaffected by the ever-changing moral landscape around us. And by the way, morality changes when you have a worldview instead of a biblical view. Because a worldview is such that culture determines right and wrong at any given time. And so you have, when you have a worldview, an ever-changing standard of morality. But when you have a biblical view, your standard of morality stays the same, just like our Heavenly Father, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But God told us these things not to scare us, but to prepare us so that we could build a hedge of protection around our families so that we can thrive in the middle of troubled times. And most importantly, so we can shine as lights in a world that is growing ever darker. Isaiah 60 verse 1 and 2 says this, Arise, shine, for your light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness 
shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. And so even though we are living in what seems to be progressively darker and darker times, darkness is the most advantage, advantageous condition for light to shine. And so to borrow an age-old axiom, these are both the worst of days, but for the church, they are the best of days. And I want to encourage you, church, arise and shine. This is our hour. This is our time. Let's look at First Timothy chapter number four and see what God tells us about the times that we are living in. Notice, first of all, he said, now the Spirit speaks expressly. This means what I'm about to say, I must say clearly and unmistakably and vividly. And what I'm about to say is unquestionably certain and sure. This phrase is sovereignly selected to grab our attention. We read it in English and we kind of go by, but if you were to read it in the original language, it would just be like a judge banging his gavel in the courtroom. It's meant to capture our attention. And notice what it says, the Spirit speaks expressively. That in latter times, the literal phrase is at the very last season of the very last point of time. In the scripture, time is broken down into, depends how you look at it, but into either dispensations, which would be true, and also ages, which would also be true. And so, for instance, the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 3, the end part, what will be the sign of your coming? And notice, and the end of the age. And the reason why they say age is because biblical time is broken down into ages. And um, we are living right now in what would be called the church age, the age where the church, the age of grace, the age of God's favor, but we are living in the church age where the church is coming into its last port of call. We are nearer now than we have ever been before to the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ in the sky to take his bride, the church, home to be with him forever in heaven. And so the text is saying this, Now, the Spirit speaks unmistakably and tells us unquestionably that in the very last season of the church age, notice the next phrase, some shall depart from the faith. Hold that phrase. We're going to come back to it. Why, though, will they depart from the faith? Notice the next phrase. Giving heed. Literally, this means moving toward and embracing Moving toward and embracing. Another way of saying this phrase would be to gradually release what they formerly believed and switching their focus towards something else. This is a picture of those who are slowly but surely releasing what was once precious and dear and embracing something new and different. Is this starting to sound like the world that we are living in? What are they giving heed And moving toward, notice the phrase, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The word seducing specifically describes moral wandering. It literally describes a person or a nation that has veered off course and is now adrift. It can be translated best delusions. Putting it all together. The Spirit tells us, unmistakably and unquestionably 
that at the very end of the age, some shall depart from the faith by slowly embracing spirits of delusion, especially as it relates to morality. Now it's really sounding familiar. Let me preface the example I'm about to give you by saying that people have never been and never will be our problem. Hear me well on this. People have never been and never will be our problem. Matter of fact, God loves people. The hallmark scripture of the Bible tells us, for God so loved the world, not the church, but the world. That means both church and unchurched alike. That means both saint and sinner. That means both Republican and Democrat. That means people who turn your stomach as you listen to them and people who you cheer for. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God loves people. People have never been, never will be our problem. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is a word right here. Stop fighting with people. We don't, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's amazing how if somebody doesn't agree, we're ready to fight. That's not our fight. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but it is against principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Stop hating on people and start praying for people, especially if you think that they are being influenced by seducing spirits because God loves them and so should you. The more you hate a person, the more you ought to be praying for the person that you hate. Imagine if we did that. But we don't pray for people that we hate. Because we care more about our agenda than we do their soul. And that is sad. We have lost sight of what our purpose is when the scripture says for us to arise and shine. It doesn't say arise and shine and be an emblem for a political party. It says arise and shine and let the light of Jesus that comes from you get on everybody that comes around you. We represent Christ. That is who our allegiance is to. So in my following example, I'm not trying to call precious souls out. Nor am I trying to shame anyone for sin because I know what God has forgiven me of, and I am grateful for his amazing grace. And I stand here before you as imperfect as anybody else is, but a recipient of that grace. And therefore, I have freely received, and I will my entire life freely pass that on. And so I want you to hear that because I'm about to give an example that may seem like I'm pointing 
fingers. Much of what I'm teaching you, by the way, comes from my dear friend and mentor's book, Rick Renner, How to Keep Your Head On Straight in a World Gone Crazy. There's not a person alive today that doesn't think that Hitler and the Nazis were instruments of the enemy and enemies of humanity. They tried to annihilate an entire group of people, the Jews, and build what they believed was a superior race of people known as Aryans, or we could say white supremacists. They also got involved in eugenics, which was the scientific experiment on how they could continue to make people more like them and less like people who weren't like them. And um, the way that they went about this is with absolute conviction that what they were doing was okay and right and even ordained by Almighty God. And the question is, how did they get to that place? First and foremost, delusion or seducing spirits and doctrines of devils that had deluded their minds. By the way, that's how seducing spirits and doctrines of devils work. They work on deceiving or deluding the mind. This is done by constant exposure to delusionary or warped things to the point that we become desensitized to it, and therefore it becomes mainstream. Notice what 2 Corinthians 4, 3 says. It says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this world has, the God of this age has blinded. I love that it says the God of this age in the original language, not necessarily world, but age, because that means that his lease is running out. He won't always be the God of this world. When the age is up, his time is up also. When the, the, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils work on deluding the mind. Satan is after your thinking, because as Proverbs 23, verse number 7 says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And one of the ways that he deludes our thinking is by constant exposure to wrong things until we become desensitized to them and they become mainstream. Stay with me because I'm going someplace. Back to the Nazis. The way the enemy deluded their mind was by making, listen to me carefully, the theory of evolution mainstream. This is going to be good. It's going to be like in science class today. The Nazis were big Darwinists. Darwin, as you know, introduced the theory of evolution to our world, espousing that we are evolved or that we evolved from organic soup to be intellectually sophisticated, complex beings over thousands of years of mutation. This theory eventually became mainstream and was not only accepted, but accepted as science and taught as so in our public schools and institutions of higher learning. Which, by the way, is part of the way in which Satan transitions the mind of humanity by getting to the younger generation. And the primary way he does this to get to the younger generation, listen to me carefully, is through our education system, 
and most Christians have no conviction about it, serving their kids up on a silver platter to the intellectually woke as they poison the mind of our kids through seducing spirits. Uh Uh-oh. See, it's funny how we have convictions only about certain things. But it's, 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 it's bothersome even how we get convicted only about the things that are outside of the scope of what we think is right and wrong, but we don't really get convicted when it comes to pulling the veil behind the curtain and looking at what's actually happening. It was predicted by the founders of Princeton and Harvard and Yale, who are all theological institutions, that once we removed God from education, educational systems would be the number one propitiation propitiators of atheism that the world has ever known. When your kids go to school and they go to, and I don't mean this in a, in a condescending way, but when your kids go to school and they are exposed to stuff as though it is fact and it is the opposite of the word of God, their mind is being manipulated for a long-term plan, and the long-term plan of the enemy is to create a seducing spirit and a doctrine of devil that alters the mind and creates the world that the Bible says would happen in the last days. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good. This theory eventually became mainstream. It was not only accepted, but accepted as science and taught so in our public schools and institutions of higher learning. Does that mean that all people involved in public education are in on it and bad? No. Matter of fact, most are oblivious to it because our problem is not with people, it's with principalities. Because when we hear things like this, we want to fight people. It's where we lose the battle. The, the enemy wants you to want us to fight one another. Because if we fight one another, he gets our eye off of where the real fight is. He gets us to fight in ways that God hasn't called us to fight with because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Church starts, stop sleeping and start doing battle in the spirit if you really care. Anyway, back to the Nazis, Darwinists, who embraced the theory of evolution and rejected the biblical principle proclaimed in the very first book of the Bible by God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female, he created them. What was going on? Satan was replacing scripture with science that was eventually placed in our public schools, and this was a way of a seducing spirit that gave a legitimate reason for superiority. 
Because if we are part of an evolutionary chain and not creations of Almighty God, then some people can indeed be more evolved, while others can indeed be rejects on the evolutionary chain and therefore subject to killing off, treating inhumane, marginalized, enslaved, and rejected. Are you with me? Do you still love me? See, sometimes I don't know if y'all can handle absolute truth. Because some of y'all will funnel the truth of the word of God through your political persuasions. As though politics have become more important than the word of God. We care more about fighting in the political arena than that we do fighting for the souls of individuals. Come on, church. You want me to preach this stuff? You got to be ready. If we are products of evolution, then it truly is survival of the fittest and everyone else is a mutation subject to those that are superior. Let me veer off for a moment and let you know that this is also one of the root causes of racism and was taught as such. That black people were the lowest on the evolutionary chain, closest to the apes, and therefore justifiably enslavable and expendable, and the ripple effect we are still experiencing today. And if we really want to be real, and here's where you thought I was slamming one political party by saying that, and I'm getting ready to slap the other one. And if we really want to get real, it's the reason why abortion was started. Because if you really want to wake up and smell the coffee, abortion clinics were first put in urban inner cities to kill off the black and brown community. So do we really want to pledge our allegiance to political parties that really have been playing power games with us for the ages? Or do we want to pledge our allegiance to the word of God and what the word of God says and wherever it cuts, it cuts. Because the word of God is sharp and powerful, two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit. And it gets to the joints and the marrows. It gets in real deep. Friends, this is the way a seducing spirit works. They posture themselves with a grain of truth. In this case, Darwinism as scientific. By the way, any of you that know anything about science know that scientific um, law one of the key things is it has to be observable. You have to be able to observe it in order for it to be scientific. And, and yet, if we really evolved from apes, where are the missing links? And so, well, there's one. Seriously? Do you realize how stupid that argument is? Well, there's one. There should be eat, um, big amounts of them all over the place. Well, that happened millions of years ago. Yeah, but it should still be traceable. And you can't, which should have thrown it out as scientific right from the very beginning. But it didn't because it was a seducing spirit. And then it became mainstream. And the consequence is always the same because the ambition of the enemy is to mar God's creation, which is humanity. It's always the end game. The end game, listen to me. I mean, I'm for a better America and I'm for all that kind of stuff and I'm not saying we shouldn't vote and be involved in politics, but the end game is not a better America. 
the end, the end game is not a better world. The end game is to take as many people to heaven with us as we possibly can. That is the end game. And the end game of the enemy is to send as many people to hell as he possibly can to mar the crown jewel of God's creation, which is humanity. Let's go back to the Nazi concentration camps. When the Allied forces finally unearthed what was going on in the concentration camps, they found out that one of the most torturous experiments being done on the victims was gender reassignment surgeries. This at the time was universally condemned by the world as a crime against humanity. What happened? How did we get here? We strayed away from the scripture and forgot that gender is determined at birth because in the beginning, God made us male and female. Please, as you hear me say this, do not mistreat anyone who is struggling with this. Please don't be unkind to anyone who is dealing with this, who has gone through this, because they are precious to God. God loves them just as much as he loves us, but gender is not a choice. It is a God-given trait. And by the way, it is backed by real science. Because if someone were to be born, for instance, a female and have gender reassignment surgery to become a male, and then die, and their skeleton were to be exhumed years later, and a DNA test were to be run on that skeleton, if they were born a female, even if they had gender reassignment surgery, they would have an XX chromosome, but if they were born a male, they would have an XY chromosome, no matter what they looked like on the outside. And it's astounding to me how when science, real science, contradicts a narrative, it ceases to be science. Why? Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. What is happening is the intentional mind manipulation with a goal to mar the creation of Almighty God. And people aren't like some people, most people, aren't like signing up for it going, oh, I'm going to get on the side of seducing spirits. Seducing spirits will convince you, convince you that you're right. You're passionate about being right. You feel like you're doing it for a righteous cause. The Nazis thought they were doing what God wanted them to do. Amazingly. And I say all that to say this. I have never been vocal about it. But it's high time for believers to consider where their kids go to school. Seriously. And the importance of Christian education because our education system is becoming the greatest propitiator of atheism that the world has ever known. And it is an arena of preference for seducing spirits because, as I already said, the way to delude the minds of the world is to get out the generation that is coming up. Look at what's happening in all the curriculums. Look at what is being taught. I'm going to get into this a little bit next week. Kids... Kids talking three, four, five, being invited to come to library and being read stories by men dressed up as women. 
It's happening. It's no longer fiction. It's no longer rhetoric. It's real. Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils are subtle. They work like Satan did from the beginning with subtleness and craftiness or more specifically with grains of truth that eventually delude our thinking away from divine standards. I'm having a moment because I don't know if I should say something. That's why I'm just processing right now. Grains of truth. When the church abdicates truth, Satan takes the grain of truth that the church should have claimed, plants it in an unholy package to get people to come that way and then twist the whole entire thing. Just want to know how much I should say, so I'm just kind of, okay, I'm moving on. This is what the scripture tells us that Satan did from the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1. Now the serpent was more crafty, subtle, skilled in deceit than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent, Satan, said to the woman, can it, can it really be that God has said, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Seduction doesn't announce itself as Satan, but rather it packages itself in something that seems smart, like it is an exact, like in the above example, science. But its intention is always to destroy God's creation. That is why we cannot be against one another. That's why we cannot be haters of people. We have to be our brother's keeper. We have to look out for one another and not allow the enemy to push us to destroy one another. We must remember, as the old song said, red and yellow, black and white, Republican and Democrat, male and female, gay and straight, trans are naturally born, that every single person is precious in the eyes of God. And can I just be real? Some of you won't say amen to that because I included gay in there and trans in there. They're precious to God. They're precious to God. Where, where have we, how far have we strayed that we have forgotten to love the sinner and hate the sin? We have strayed so much. We are so, so out for our agenda that we have missed the gospel. We have missed the Jesus who is a friend of publicans and sinners. And sometimes, I don't, I don't know if y'all can handle the truth. Sometimes we must posture our position not to compromise truth, but not to push people who need Jesus away. Not all truth has to be sent through a shotgun at somebody. Sometimes the best place for truth is in one-on-one relationship where somebody knows how much you care before you can tell them how they need to be corrected. But yet we would rather shoot it out of a shotgun and kill people in the way because we really don't care about the souls of human beings. We care about the sanctity of our political positions. Please. People don't know. They like, Pastor, are you, 
are you a Democrat or a Republican? They have no idea. And they don't need to know. Because you hear me say, they're like, man, that sounds like Democrat. That sounds like, where, where you at? Where you at, Pastor? Where you at? I'm at where Christ is at. Because the Pharisees, they said, well, we thought you were one of us. We thought you were one of Jews. Why are you having dinner with the, with the publicans and the sinners? Why, why are you protecting women caught in adultery? Why are you, why are you hanging out with wine bibs? Why are you healing on the Sabbath day? Why, why, why are you, why are you meeting with tax collectors? I thought you were one of us. Then Jesus show up in the temple and open up the book of Isaiah. Oh, now we're feeling you because now you're speaking our language again. Where was I? Let me bring it all together. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. The Spirit speaks expressly, unmistakably, unquestionably, that in the last days, at the very end of the age, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed, slowly drifting away from certain standards of morality and embracing seducing spirits, delusional, distorted thinking, and doctrines of of devils. Does this sound like the world we are living in today? Now, what is the purpose of these seducing spirits? And here it is. The scripture puts it like this. Some shall depart from the faith. And the purpose of seducing spirits is always twofold. Number one, to keep people from the faith and then to get other people to depart from the faith. Satan's ultimate scheme is to keep people from or pull people away from the Savior who came to save our soul. That is Satan's mission and Jesus told us this. John chapter 10 verse number 10, the thief does not come except. This is the only reason. No matter how good it looks, no matter how much truth is in it. The great thing about God is there's absolute truth with God. You never have to guess where God is because if it's not absolute truth, it is not God. But Satan always has granular truth, grains of truth that is mixed into a whole pile of other stuff. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, to destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He's not after, Satan is not after our faith for miracles. He's not after our faith for blessing. He's not after our faith for a bigger house. He's not after our faith, our faith for promotion at work. He's not after that. Thank God for those things. I love those things. You know, anybody who said money don't matter ain't never had none. I'm tr- trust me, it's, it makes, it's good. He's after our faith in Christ. Some shall depart from the faith. Definite article. Church, be alert. First Peter 5, chapter 5, verse number 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Next week, I'm going to give you some practical steps on how to be alert, how not to succumb to the seducing spirits or doctrines of devils. But today, I want to close with this final thought. Just as the end times will be marked by a strong pull by the enemy to take people away from Christ, there will always be and has always been a more powerful force keeping us in Christ.
example, exhibit A, Peter. Remember who Peter was. This is a man who walked off of his job for his faith. This is a man who left everything to follow Jesus. This is a man who pulled out his sword and was ready to go against the most highly trained army in existence, the Roman army, to fight for Jesus. This is a man who sincerely said, I'll follow you to my death, Jesus. The scene is now the Last Supper. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Sounds like a lot of Christians. How are we going to be ready to go to prison and death when we can't tell our neighbor about Jesus? I'm ready to go to death with you, Jesus. Fight for you, Jesus. Got to get out there and make the right political messages. Here's my sign on my lawn. You ain't never told nobody about Jesus in the last how many years? And invited nobody to church neither. But you're going to go to with Jesus. That's what he said. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. Fast forward to the cross. Jesus is being whipped, beaten, mocked, ready to be crucified. Peter is watching from a distance. A young girl walks up to him and says, are you with Jesus? He said, uh, no, I don't know. She's like, Cool. A few minutes later, she comes back. Are you? Sh- I, I know I asked you this, but but are you sure you're not with Jesus? Because I saw you hanging out. I, I, somebody just like you, just same same beard, same bald spot up top, same funky looking dashiki. I, I seen you. Hanging out with that wannabe savior. No, I, I, I know what you're talking about. I don't know. She comes back again. Because you see, how does Satan delude? Keeps at the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over. Where you you don't got to just say no once. Oh, I know this for a fact. Because them cookies are always calling my name. And sometimes I'm like, no, 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 no. Get behind her. Sometimes I'm like, all right, one can't hurt too much. Biggest lie of the enemy, one won't hurt. I'm not a one person. Like, I don't do one. It's like I'm either all in or all out, right? And so, like, if I'm going to have cookies, I'm going to have cookies. Let's line them up. Let's get a couple dozen ready to go. Let's warm them up. Let's get some milk. Let's, let's do this thing. Comes back. She leaves. She comes back a third time. I, I know I've asked you this twice before, but I 
can't get this out of my mind. You, you talk like him. You act like him. You smell like him. You remind me of him. Are you sure you're not with him? Peter said, get the F away from me. How many times do I F and have to tell you that I don't know who he is? That's what Peter said. It's in the Bible. I don't know which curse word he chose, but I figure if he's going to curse, we might as well go to the king of the curse. What happened? Satan came to sift Peter like wheat, to get him to depart from the faith. He wasn't after getting Peter to curse. See, the curse is just a step. The, 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 the thing that you're looking at that you should, it's a step. It's, it's not what he's after. Because the sin has already been dealt with on the cross. He already, you can't, you can't sin enough to stop the Savior from saving you. But when you are saved, you shouldn't keep on sinning because you shouldn't disrespect the grace of God like that. But the sin, the cursing, the swearing, the smoking, the drinking, the this, the that, the other thing, it's really not what he's after because on the cross, your sin and my sin was canceled once and for all. He's not after the sin. The sin is a step. Because what it does is it, it works on the heart over and over again. Peter was experiencing the power of the pull. Friends, don't think you're above it. Don't preach down to people in an effort to share the truth with people. Don't preach to people who are struggling as though you don't need God's come on, church, as though you don't need God's grace. You want to know what's disgusting and shameful is when Christians act like they're better than everybody else. Scripture says, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Have you seen Christians lately? Somebody once told me, anytime you point at somebody, you got three fingers pointing back at you and one up at God. Where's our heartbreak for people? Where's our compassion for hurting people? When I see the mess going on, I see hurting people, I see hurting humanity. And I ask, I begin to ask the Lord, I said, Lord, how can I heal the divide? I said, Lord, here I am, use me. Lord, how do I, how do I step into the space to bring the body of Christ that is even schismed right now? In fact, see, because if the enemy can divide the church, whew, he has he has contained the most powerful force on the earth, and so if he splits us. If he gets half of us on this narrative and half of us on this narrative divides us. And I said, Lord, 
I'm willing to step into the gap. I look for a man to stand in the gap and make up the hedge so that I would not have to destroy the land, but I I found none. Instead of running to our corners, are we willing to step into the gap? Are we willing to listen? Not everything is going to be perfect. People are going to say things that are unscriptural and wrong. But I always try to listen for the heart. Why somebody feel the way they feel? Why is somebody acting the way that they're acting? Maybe I'm just crazy. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just because I come from a grace place. You know, and I, I, I don't say this arrogantly, but some people have been given a gift of grace. I think I might have that gift. And so I look with different eyes at circumstances and situation. Jesus said, Peter, I've prayed for you. That your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Translation, Peter, I know what Satan is sending your way. And I'm not just going to let you go down like that without standing in the way. Ultimately, the decision will be yours. But I'm fighting for you, Peter. Peter, I have prayed for you. And Peter, let me give you a glimpse of the future. When you return to me, strengthen your brethren. Peter, I, the prayer that I pray will be answered and Satan will will not win. Peter, even though you are going to be, that even though there is going to be a seducing spirit that comes to sift you like wheat, there will also be a power to keep you in the palm of my hand. I came here to remind somebody today that even though in the end times there will be a power to pull, there will also be a greater power to keep. It is the power of Jesus Christ who has prayed for you. Hebrews says, therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for us. He is praying for you. Satan may be trying to sift you, but Jesus is praying for you. He might be trying to sift you with the pressures of the pandemic, but Jesus is praying for you. He might be able to try to sift you with the problems of your marriage, but Jesus is praying for you. He might be able to try to sift you through racial tensions, but Jesus is praying for you through political conversations, but Jesus is praying for you through financial setbacks, but Jesus is praying for you through the pain of the loss of a loved one, but Jesus is praying for you. He might be trying to sift you as you watch your kids go through. Jesus is praying for you. I want to remind you of the old song. And here's what it says. Oh, no, you never let go through every calm and every storm. Oh, no, you never let go in every high and every low. Oh, no, you never let go. You never let go of me. Can I tell you something? The end of the age. Satan is going to try to pull, but God's power is going to surround you. Jesus is praying for you. And if you will work with God, he will keep you in the palm of his hands. Come on, let's stand up and sing this song.